Hello and welcome to the Global Voices podcast, your weekly dose of global news in local voices. I'm your host Ameya, speaking from Delhi, India. Each week, insiders from our community share what news matters the most in their communities and how they build their stories out of the local context. Today, four members of our newsroom are here to talk about how Russia's invasion of Ukraine might affect and might not affect Latin America, South Asia, Southeast Asia, and Sub-Saharan Africa. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our very first episode. Yay! Could you please say your name, where you are, and the region you cover? This is Redwan from Dhaka, Bangladesh, and I cover the South Asia region. This is Pong Palatino from Manila, Philippines, and I cover the Southeast Asia region. I am Watkwe Bunike from Lagos, Nigeria, and I cover Sub-Saharan Africa. Hi everyone, I'm Melissa. Um, I'm Salvadoran in Belgium, and so now I'm in Brussels and I cover Latin America. Welcome everyone. I'm super happy that we're doing this for our first episode. So let me start by asking, what uh, what is the general feeling across your regions about the war? I mean, have governments taken sides? Have citizens taken sides? Do they agree with each other? <laughs> is it something that's a big part of the news? Tell me tell me how it's going, uh, wherever you are. Let's start with you, Rezwan. That's a very uh, interesting question uh, because uh, in Bangladesh, uh, the general people, like the people from villages, they don't know Ukraine that much. They know Russia, probably. So there is a war going on, and like uh, people have uh, less idea. Like there, there are some news. Uh, what, uh, like which side is Bangladesh on? Uh, on March uh, three, two thousand twenty-two, uh, there was a vote uh, at the UN emergency special session. Uh, on the Ukraine crisis and Bangladesh abstained like a few other South Asian countries. So uh, one may ask, I mean, why didn't it uh, take side? Although like the, the official statements say that we are against war and also like there are certain underlining uh, issues like uh, Russia is also a partner in uh, infrastructure development and like uh, historically, they, uh, Russia uh, like uh, supported us during our liberation war. So there are a lot, lot to uh, 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 like. There is a context for this, and uh, like what the people are uh, concerned are the higher prices. So I uh, although like uh, we have uh, uh, in, uh, commerce, like uh, uh, we do trade with. Ukraine. And uh, I think the official uh, records say that like, we export more uh, rather than we what we import. And we import uh, things like wheat and uh, certain other uh, uh, food materials or uh, uh, like uh, for manufacturing and other things. But and we export a lot of uh, uh, the clothes. Uh, and the, you know, the, so the thing is that uh, but uh, it this shouldn't like impact uh, immediately. But uh, when we go to shop, we see that the prices of like uh, edible oil has increased, and a lot of things are increasing. And I think it's, it's 
it's a lot of like panic panic buying or what about and i guess there, there will be an impact although we uh, the uh, fuel price is uh, still the government says they will not increase but uh, the international price has increased but uh, this will have an effect if the war um, goes on but uh, for now i mean uh, people are concerned about these uh, uh, high prices but this doesn't I, I don't think they relate to the crisis now but uh, this will have an impact in one or two months it's very interesting that you say that because I also remember looking at the vote and uh, I don't think, I think only one South Asian country actually voted. Everybody abstained. And I feel that's because we have a very delicate balance between the Russia, US and China in this part of the world. And it's very difficult for us to pick a side because there's always somebody else who will extract punishment later. Uh, what about in Southeast Asia, Mong? How is it, uh, what's it like over there? Well, the Philippine government voted against the invasion. And uh, the concern of uh, our government is the situation of Filipinos. There are 181 Filipinos in uh, Ukraine. And the news here is about the impact of the conflict on oil prices. This is a justification made by oil companies, big business, and even the government. We have surging oil prices because of the uh, conflict. Uh, in Russia and uh, in Ukraine. Although in recent weeks, there are less stories about the situation because it's election season here in uh, Manila, Philippines. In other parts of Southeast Asia, most governments voted uh, in favor of the UN resolution condemning the invasion. Uh, although the situation in Myanmar is quite different because you see the military government voted, uh, supported uh, Russia but the, pre, the UN diplomat, the ambassador to the UN, voted against Russia. And that reflects the political divide in Myanmar. That's quite fascinating. How is that possible? Well, because the ambassador to the UN belongs to the previous ruling party. And the um, current ambassador is not recognized by the, by the military government, which controls Myanmar today. After the coup, about a year, a little more than a year. Yes, ago. a year after the coup. And watch. What about sub-Saharan Africa? I, I know there was some coverage. Uh, we covered some some stories from students who were stranded and treated badly at the borders and so on. Uh, but is it news? So sorry. Um, so aside the issue of the students who are treated badly and the implication it had of um, being stranded in the Ukraine border. Um, we also had an issue, of course, which we covered with that post. Um, there's also been some, um, so to speak, a direct effect on not just on Nigeria economy, but also some other countries within sub-Saharan Africa. So from airlines to in Nigeria, they've been having issues with aviation fuel precisely because of the um, changes in cost of crude oil. Um, no longer available, and um, also the thing of wheat, global prices of wheat and fertilizers has increased tremendously. And around here, um, means that farmers, this rainy season is just about to start, and um, it's going to be terrible if it, if it continues the way it is, because it means that farmers will not be able to get enough fertilizers for farming based, because of this conflict. And also, um, there's been a lot of conversation, actually, 
especially about um, with um, citizens um, online, and is being varied. Some against the um, Russian invasion, and some for depending on which side of the divide. But the Nigerian government has skillfully and diplomatically, apart from the very um, perfunctory statement that they made, they've tried as much as possible to stake that of um, this war in Europe. So, so what, what's in the news in Sub-Saharan Africa that's not about the war? That's not about the war. Ah, there, it depends on the day because um, things evolve here um, so fast. For instance, I mean, Nigeria now has been, even though we, we are a um, crude oil um, exporting country, but we don't have fuel. Um, there's been scarcity of that. There's also been um, absence of aviation fuel. In fact, most airlines, they announced that by next week, they might stop all domestic flights because um, this thing has skyrocketed. And then the power grid fell. I mean, collapsed, national power grid in Nigeria. So it means that most, if not all parts of Nigeria, particularly in darkness. And people use generators, but generators, the diesel is very expensive. So it's a whole mess. So. And none of this is is pushing any of the governments to take uh, open open positions or uh, I don't know no. offer. I think basically the people see that it's not really yeah we empathize um, we understand that what Russia has done is wrong and amongst citizens is obvious but nonetheless it's like it's not actually a war where the Europeans sort themselves out. You know, it's funny because um, fundamentally that was how I personally felt as well, uh, that it is a humanitarian tragedy, but on the geopolitical level, it's not my ball. Melissa, back to you now. Hey, hey everyone. Yes. Well, Latin America, well, as a, as a continent, right, um, has a little, shares a little bit of all your concerns. Um, and so I think well, we can speak of two Latin Americas, one that has been historically and very politically aligned with Russia for the past, you know, decades um, versus the other ones. Um, so speaking of the other ones first, it's funny because, and also Cuba and Venezuela, but right before the invasion, uh, I noticed that Putin was actually, Putin and his diplomats were visiting governments in Latin America or inviting Latin American presidents to Moscow. Um, so kind of smooching them right before the invasion. It was kind of an accelerated diplomacy happening in Latin America, even though it's pretty far geographically. Uh, and I think his strategy kind of worked in the sense that, yes, vast majority of Latin American countries voted uh, in favor of the condemnation um, of the UN versus invasion, but other than that, they're pretty lukewarm um, in their speeches. Um, none of them has issued sanctions against Russia saying basically it's not really our problem. Um, and what I feel is that basically they don't want to close doors with a potential political and economic ally to kind of diversify um, you know, their, their markets and not only depend on the United States first, because that's like the biggest market for Latin America and also biggest political influence. 
Um, and then uh, China as well, who was like an incoming huge force in Latin America. And like right before the invasion, we, I, we actually published something Global Voices about this because the, 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 the president, the Argentinian president, um, Alberto Fernandez uh, went to visit um, uh, well, Putin in Moscow. And basically he said, you know, uh, we, want we want Argentina to become uh, the doorway uh, for Russia in Latin America. And so after the invasion, you know, the Argentinian president was super, like he took days before <laughs> condemning it. It was pretty, in the end he did it after pressure internally, but it was like, ugh, we wanted more um, economic, uh, you know, ties with, with this country and all of that. So that's how I, that's how, you know, I feel what's happening in the region other than of course, uh, fear of inflation, like, you know, my colleagues have mentioned. Um, and along with fear of uh, mounting inflation and uh, uh, increased oil prices is fear of protests. Because we are a region uh, where people like, like other, other, other regions, of course, you know, but you know, if the price of, of, of commodities increases, there, there might be a big anti-governmental protest like there have been in recent years. So yeah, that's how I feel uh, with regards to that. Um, and of course, you can speak, you know, for hours specifically on specific countries, you know, like Venezuela or Cuba and yeah, and Venezuela. I was, was going to ask you about those two. Yeah, well, Venezuela, uh, you know, it's everyone's kind of waiting and seeing what's happening because, you know, the United States uh, diplomats went to visit Venezuela. And it's kind of been a bit confusing visit because they kind of denied why they went there. But everyone speculated that basically it was, you know, to to reduce uh, sanctions, um, the U.S. sanctions on Venezuela to be able to import oil uh, from Venezuela for the U.S. domestic markets. But then, yeah, you know, the United States uh, diplomat were like, no, no, we did not speak about oil. Da, da, da. Anyway, so forever, but, but Venezuela, it, it's, it's fascinating to see how these, these sanctions versus sanctions, who needs more sanctions? Who's our friend who's not? a friend in this moment. So just before we wrap up, I want to ask one thing. Um, what's the, is there something weird, something unexpected? Like, I mean, I suppose we're all expecting people to worry about food and oil and price inflation and not feeling like they can take a side, but is there something unexpected that's happened anywhere if, in any of the countries in the regions you guys cover? What I notice in the reaction of some countries is, for example, Singapore, was quick to impose sanction on Russia. And the reaction of some civil society groups and activist groups uh, was to ask Singapore, why so quick in condemning Russia when your own neighbor, Myanmar, uh, you, you continue to do business with the Myanmar military government? Uh, why, why the hesitancy in imposing the same sanction on the Myanmar military government? Another interesting. Uh, topic across the region is that even if the issue is Russia and Ukraine, the conversation always leads to what happens if China will invade us. This is the topic in not just in Myanmar, but also in countries near Taiwan and Hong Kong. So that, that's, I think, one of the angles in uh, newsrooms. Yep, definitely. That's a very important thing to remember that People are busy, you know, condemning something far away while ignoring something close by. <laughs> okay, so I can talk about uh, one uh, interesting thing. Uh, 
in Bangladesh, uh, the Russian ambassador to Bangladesh, uh, Mr. Alexander V. Uh, Mantitsky, uh, he has uh, written an open letter uh, uh, to Bangladeshi media and uh, where he claimed that uh, the coverages were biased uh, when they were talking about the situation in Ukraine. Now, something uh, to be said about uh, how Bangladeshi media covers the international news. So uh, they depend on the international news wires. Like, uh, and uh, the, you know, the most of the news wires are uh, having this uh, uh, Western sort of, uh, you know, bias yeah. and their sort yeah, of yeah. point of view. So th this has been uh, the coverage also here. So he has uh, uh, pointed to those uh, things and also explained where, uh, why this invasion is uh, ongoing. And he explained it, uh, uh, that the letter was shared on Twitter. So I'm writing a report on it. So uh, <laughs> it's, good, good. We'll we should link to that at, uh, later when it's yeah. done. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, uh, I, I was reading some of the uh, online conversations in India where uh, the Hindu nationalist crowd is uh, yes. likening, <laughs> uh, you know, the uh, Putin's uh, uh, invasion. Uh, with like they're saying that uh, Modi should do simil uh, a similar kind of invasion and seize Kashmir and like uh, expand the uh, Akhand Farad or the one undivided, India. undivided yeah. India. Yeah, you know, mm. he should uh, take, uh, you know, uh, cues from uh, Putin <laughs> and do that. So that's well. some interesting conversation from the social media. At least, uh, at least we know that after India accidentally fired a missile into Pakistan, they did not go to war. So we still got some time for that to happen. Melissa Nwaj, do you have any uh, weird stories? I think that essentially, um, personally, and from what you can do, very few people would publicly admit it, but it's a sort of um, detachment in the sense that Africa has always been a theater of war. Uh, more time than more often times than not, you have the West pontificating about the ideals of democratic norms and governance and uh, respecting human rights and and so on and so forth. And yet in their backyard, they cannot put themselves in order. And it is is a little bit of um, so you get this type of detachment from people also because of the present realities that they are face, they are facing. Is already quite harsh, and um, yes, they empathize and so on and so forth. But it's, it's something that is far from them, and then let's US and perhaps Europe that normally interferes with impunity over the years and years of colonization yeah. sort themselves out. So, and of course, with now the rancid reaction that came from the way African students were treated. Really, yeah. it's it's left whatever sympathy that was left. Really, that was yeah. left. Yeah, I feel also that theater of war has been often a consequence of being the site of proxy wars for European powers as well, historically in Africa, which really complicates it. Uh, Melissa, other than the Argentinian president having to do a quick about face, 
just to continue what I was talking about with Venezuela, I feel like that was very surprising and the receptivity of the Venezuelan government uh, to maybe rekindle ties with the United States. And that's kind of something that, at least from my point of view, like no one really expected or so fast. Yes. Right after the meeting, they released us uh, several U.S. Um, political prisoners. And so it's like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Um, is, is Venezuela kind of ditching Russia now? Um, so we'll see. We'll see how that develops. And it, it seems clear that the United States is trying to um, strengthen its ties with, uh, with, with Latin America in general. And that poses its, its own questions, right, with regards to complicated relationships that these countries have had. Yes, yes. Okay, I think that's pretty much all we have time for. Thank you all for uh, sticking around because it's pretty late for you, Mong, right now that I know and a little early for you, Melissa. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Um, you've been listening to the Global Voices podcast, your weekly dose of global news and local voices. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and tell your friends about us. Global Voices is an international multilingual, primarily volunteer community of writers, translators, academics, and human rights activists. Our multilingual newsroom team reports on people whose voices and experiences are rarely seen in the mainstream media. To find out more, go to globalvoices.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Global Voices. The music in this podcast is from the track Voyage by Nick Martin from our extended Global Voices community. Thank you and have a good day.